Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Richard Gunther. A little while back after moving into a new home, I had outdoor landscape lighting installed. I wanted the lights to be zoned and integrated into my home lighting system. But to my surprise, there wasn't an easy way to do that. And the landscape lighting company we used had never done such an installation. I ended up hacking something together with multiple transformers and some outdoor lighting modules, but I remember thinking how odd it was that smart home companies were largely neglecting outside spaces. Just a few years later, and we're seeing several interesting offerings targeting irrigation and lighting specifically. On this episode of the Smart Home Show, Adam and I discuss the state of outdoor smart home technology, focusing on those two areas, irrigation and lighting. Who are the main players there, and what are our thoughts on the products we've had a chance to try out firsthand? And who knows, as we push into the summer months, maybe you'll come out of this inspired to try a new outdoor project or two. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Smart Home Show. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And today we're going to talk about smart home technology for your outdoor spaces. But before we get into the smart home talk, I have a question for Richard to open the show. So Richard, tell me a little bit about your Disney fandom. And I also particularly want to hear more about your recent trip to Disneyland because I'm very jealous as a Star Wars fan myself that you got to see the new Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, yeah. So as people who follow me on Twitter or Instagram may know, I was recently out in California and it was a jam-packed trip where I was, I'll call it a multi-purpose trip. And one of the things that I absolutely wanted to do while I was out there was visit Disneyland. I have been a fan of Disney since my senior year of college it is where I went on college break during the spring while most of my friends went to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different experience. Yeah, it was. And I became hooked. Disney is all about customer experience. They're about giving you the best experience that they can, whether it's in attractions or in resorts or in service. And that really appealed to me. And it's kind of funny that now, like experience consulting is what I do because it's something that I care deeply about. And Disney just has it down pat. There are areas where you can definitely see some, some, uh, some problems as time goes on. But, you know, every time they open a new sort of, um, attraction or a new resort or something, there's something new to, 
explore and a new opportunity for them to kind of reinvigorate everybody's energy and uh, give everybody the best experience that they can. And it was just dumb luck that while I was out there was also during the reservation preview period for Galaxy's Edge. So I made the perhaps less than sane decision to stay overnight in one of their resorts for just one night so that I would qualify to get a reservation to go in to see Galaxy's Edge. And it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. They have created an an entirely immersive world or experience that you don't even have a clue about when you're in Disneyland. Like you would have no idea that this is there. And one of the things that Disney is really good at is hiding what's behind the curtain, but also hiding what's around the next bend. I was just going to say that's especially interesting for Disneyland too, because Disneyland being where it is and when it was built, like the cracks show a little bit more in Disneyland than they do in Disney World. They absolutely do. And they are landlocked. Like they are basically using every square meter they have available to them. And the fact that they managed to find space to put such a significantly sized attraction boggles my mind. I, I, I know that they, they took some space that really just wasn't getting the kind of, uh, the, the kind of traffic that it used to in the early days. So they're repurposing things that aren't as popular and that's a good idea. But yeah, I was, I was blown away. So the just, you know, my, my, I guess my one or two minute review of it is that if you're a Star Wars fan, you absolutely have to go see this when it's open to the public, either for the folks in the West Coast out in Disneyland, or if you live closer to the East Coast Park in Disney World, they're going to be opening in August. And then I believe in September, it'll be open to the general public. So definitely worth seeing if you're going to those parks and maybe even worth a trip if you're a big Star Wars fan because you you walk into this area and you feel like you are in an outpost on some crazy planet. I mean the 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 extent that they've gone to to create an environment around you that is just entirely convincing there aren't like regular signs like there are in the park pointing you to things. They use guides for that because all of the signs, of course, are in an alien language. <laughs> and if even the bathrooms were something of an experience, they created a, a this kind of post-industrial, just really shabby bathroom experience with all of this crazy steampunk piping and everything. It was just it, like every corner they have thought of it. And I would absolutely go again. What I am really eager to see is just how it's going to expand because I know they only have one main ride open now. And then they have the cantina, which is the other thing that everybody needs to go see to experience the cantina 
and get a drink there and they have some exotic drinks and you know the, if you collect mugs and stuff like that you can do you can get souvenir mugs but definitely definitely worth it can't wait to see it expand can't wait to see it come to florida cuz i pretty much go there mm, every year yeah the uh disneyland west coast that's a little bit more of a hop for you it is it is but disney world is a quick flight away and um, we go down there every once in a while with uh, niece and nephew. So it'll be it'll be fun to visit with them and kind of see it through their eyes because they're just kind of starting to enjoy all of the old Star Wars films. So cool stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to check this out. I'll probably wait a little bit for the hype to die down. I I don't need uh, hour plus ride, you know, lines and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> we're probably due for a big Disney trip in a couple years here. My my youngest daughter is two, and uh, you know, in the next couple years here, she'll probably be in peak princess, and and that'll be the time we're gonna make the big trek. Yeah, that's perfect. And by the time you go, it'll have a little bit of wear and tear on it. And the beauty of the design of this outpost is that the more wear and tear it gets, the better it's going to look. There you go. Better with age. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, If you want to submit a question for us to open the show, um, you can do that on Twitter using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. And uh, please feel free to submit those questions, and we'd love to take yours on the show uh, to learn a little bit more about each of us. Now, for our main topic of the show, uh, as I said earlier, we're going to talk about smart home in the outdoor spaces. So I think this is, you know, being that it's uh, summertime here in the U.S. at least, um, we thought this was a good topic to uh, step outside the smart home and and talk a little bit about um, what's going on in uh, in the outdoors. So I think the first section of this here, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about irrigation and water um, in the yard and things like that. So this is an area I have a little bit more experience with. So here, kind of the main players. I think kind of the dominant player here is uh, company Ratio. Um, they've been out for a number of years, and they launched Generation Three of their product um, last year, which supports HomeKit. It's got this optional fancy flow meter and some really significant weather intelligence features. And this seems to also be the device that has gone all in on integrations across a smart home. So they work, I mentioned HomeKit, uh, they work with with Amazon Echoes, uh, Google Assistant, IFTTT, and SmartThings. Um, so kind of be the all-in-one on that. And we'll talk a little bit more about this one later as uh, I have some personal experience with uh, their Generation 2 device. Some of the others in the market, um, you know, so there's this Orbit Beehive, which uh, just looking at, I, I haven't used this personally, but um, it looks like it has more controls on the controller itself versus the Ratio, which is more app driven. Yeah. And it's also the thing that's nice about that is these also come in in really nice price points. The Orbit Beehive has kind of like a lower end one and then a higher end one that uh, and like you said, they offer controls on the device if that's important to you that you don't want to necessarily have to pull out an app every time that you just want to quickly turn on a zone or something like that. 
The other thing that I really like about them, and you mentioned this also with Ratio, is that they work with your voice assistants. So that if you you wanted to start watering his own kind of off cycle because for whatever reason, maybe it's been really uh, hot and you want to, or maybe you just planted something new and you want to make sure that it's getting watered more than you normally would, then the ability to quickly call up and water a zone can be very, very useful. Or in our family's use case, uh, in case the children want to go play in the sprinklers, that's that's the most common one zone use case. Okay, there you go. I haven't even thought of that one. Yeah, see, I try to avoid the sprinklers when they're on. There you go. Yeah, most of us do. But you know, on a hot, <laughs> a, a hot day in summer, uh, you know, nothing beats uh, playing in the sprinklers. Yeah, yeah. Now this next one on your list here, kind of, I think wins the coolest looking device award. Yeah. So this one is uh, Skydrop. They also uh, not only look the coolest, but their claim, at least on their website, is to be the most intelligent sprinkler controller on the market. What that means, I'm not really sure. But I believe when I went shopping for this, um, when I moved into my current house that had irrigation a few years ago, I was mainly comparing between this and Ratio. Those seem to be kind of at that time, a couple of years ago, the the dominant players. Mm-hmm. They claim to have some integrations, but I didn't see anything about working with some of the smart home ecosystems. I don't know if you know if they have any of those going I on. I don't know with those two, actually. No. And then um, the next one was Scott's Grow. So this is like Scott's Lawn Care. I know that this came, uh, this used to be called Blossom. And I met the guy who founded this uh, a couple of years ago. And um, Scott's was sort of making this big play in the outdoor space, and they acquired Blossom and a couple other companies to kind of get some hardware together. And I couldn't find anything specific, but I seem to remember that hearing something that they were kind of dialing back those plans a little bit. Like they went out a little aggressive. I looked, this is still on their website, but maybe they're not making as aggressive of investments as they were, um, you know, out the gate on this kind of stuff and being a hardware company. I mean, at the end of the day, they're like a fertilizer and lawn care company. Um, So it seems like a natural business for them to be involved in, but I don't know if it's where I would go to pick my um, connected hardware vendor. Yeah. I I mean, it's funny because this acquisition reminded me so much of the acquisition by Weber Grills of the iDevices iGrill. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, here's a product that's probably one of the disruptors in how you typically use products in our space. So let's grab that up. Right. Yeah. And then it took Weber a pretty good amount of time to figure out what the heck to do with it. Yep. And have they done anything with it majorly since then? They have finally invested in some really good software for it. They initially trashed the software that iDevices had originally created for it, which was good software, and came up with their own terrible software, and then ultimately completely redid it. And it's, I think, a really good product now. But... um yeah, I don't have any personal experience with Blossom, but you know, Blossom, Skydrop, Ratio, these were really the three 
companies that were kind of coming out during, I don't even want to call it the smart home boom, but just when we started seeing everybody coming up with connected products. Right. And then add Orbit into the mix there. And the, the Orbit Beehive, you know, all of these products, we're talking about products that already assume that you've made what is, in many cases, a multi-thousand dollar investment in an irrigation system for your property, or that you're daring enough to you know, go down to your Ace Hardware, buy all the equipment yourself and install one. I know I wouldn't be doing that. Good luck with that. Yeah, no. And I, you know, I don't know that I would have put one in myself either. Uh, like I mentioned, it was there when I bought my house. So I, it was natural for me to take the, you know, legacy, uh, maybe Hunter uh, controller that was, you know, dumb and manually operated and replace it with something that I can, could control from my phone and have a little bit more intelligence. So one of the things some of these uh, claim is to use weather data. And, and Ratio seems to um, you know, claim they have a really deep and very local weather intelligence, uh, especially on their latest hardware. So um, that's sort of one of the advantages of having a connected irrigation system over kind of the old manual one is with the old manual version is, you know, you'd, you'd go by and you'd see during it's raining outside and somebody has their sprinklers on wasting <laughs> a bunch of water. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, I, in all fairness, some of the newer controller boxes, even for Hunter, for example, ours, you can hook up a rain sensor to it so that if it has some rain in its well, then it knows that You've received rain over the last, whatever, 12 hours and don't water the next time. But right. that's, you know, that's kind of limited. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily give you a good read for what your yard really needs. Yeah, exactly. So I think it, certainly the promise of some of these is to have more intelligence around when they're watering, help save you some money because... Yeah, I know when mine was just running on a schedule, like, boof, that, that water bill in the summer was hefty. Um, so, I mean, like, I I just noticed that mine wasn't even activated yet. We've been having so much rain so far this spring in Chicago, so I didn't even bother. Um, but, yeah, now, hopefully, with some of this intelligence that's embedded, it can make sure that it's really only using the sprinklers when it needs to. And the other intelligence that I think all of these systems provide is either something that your installer, when they set the system up, took into consideration when they created your program, or they didn't bother to. And that is that different types of foliage need different frequency and amounts of water. So for example, you wouldn't want to water your perennial gardens the same way that you would want to water your lawn. And yet most systems simply spend 20 minutes a zone, maybe half of the zones on your property every other day. And that's how it works. And again, unless 
you had a, a, a an installer who who really took into consideration what was where in your yard. But my experience has been that most don't really do that, and so by what you know they they claim their claim to being more intelligent is that you tell it what kind of planting or foliage you have and then it will figure out okay well can we skip how many days and how much should it get and you know does it need to be watered is it better if it's watered early in the morning or right before sun or, you know, a lot of factors go into that. And that's something that your legacy system is just never going to do. Yeah. And I know when I set up my ratio, um, it kind of walks you through a tutorial where you go through each zone and not only share what kind of foliage is there, but also what kind of sprinkler heads are attached. So, you can be more yep. intentional about how the you know how much water flow and and how long and all those kinds of things. So um, that was certainly nice as well. Yeah, that's cool. So and the other kind of alternative that we threw on our list here was the Eve Aqua. So um, this came out I think about a year ago, and it is a is sort of like a uh, the the smart sprinkler controller. Um, you know, for people that don't have a sprinkler system. So it actually attaches at the faucet level and then goes into a hose that would be hooked up to a sprinkler. Um, so this is a one device, one hose, one sprinkler based thing. It is HomeKit only, like most Eve devices are. And I believe BLE based as well as most Eve products are. Correct. I believe that is right. Um, and but, like most Eve products, it is expensive. Yeah, of course. Um, it looked like the one kind of nice thing. So obviously with BLE, my big concern would be accessing it um, and range and things like that. But uh, it looks like once you do set up sort of schedules and things like that, those are stored on the device and you don't necessarily have to be close to it to to do that. So uh seems like a good alternative if you don't want to spend the money or don't have a, a full sprinkler system to have a little bit of intelligence and um and some controllability. Now I don't know anything about what sort of watering intelligence their app offers here. Do you? Because I would argue that if all this is providing you with is a timer, again, go to your Ace Hardware and buy a screw-on timer for your faucet. That, I mean, that's really what it looked like. It, I don't think it has much intelligence. I think it's timers and measurement. So it's it's giving you some usage. So it's kind of like a smart plug version of a hose controller. And And so remote control too, right? Like you could turn it on from your sofa. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's sort of where um, where the irrigation space uh, lies. Uh, like I mentioned, I do have a, a ratio. It's been uh, it's been a nice device to have uh, and definitely a huge upgrade from uh, from the kind of old manual hunter box suite that I pulled out. Uh, I did the install myself. Uh, a little bit intimidating because there are a lot of wires, um, but <laughs> 
I did it. You know, I think, you know, if you were doing this from scratch, you could obviously have a professional do this. And, you know, I think it's nice. It, it gets the basics done. I have the second generation version. So, you know, you can run schedules. It's got some basic weather intelligence. The new one seems really nice. You know, if I was starting over, I would do this again. I don't know that it's nice enough that I would go out and spend the money to get all these features again over what I already have. Um, cause I think that the gen two does what I needed to do, but I would certainly love to have, you know, home kit and, uh, the flow meter piece looks really cool. So this seems to add, give you things like looking for leak detection and blockage and, uh, you know, a little bit more of outdoor usage. So it feels like every year the, when the people come to turn on the sprinklers, they're always saying, Oh, there's a leak over here or whatever. So it would be nice to have the system actually kind of be a BS detector for um, those contractors to know if those leaks actually do exist, how bad are they, things like that. So um, that's where that capability looks to be kind of interesting. I think that's much more of a professional install than um, just putting in the system itself. It's funny that you talk about that problem because I have the opposite problem where I'm on the phone with the irrigation people saying, yo, we have a leak. Come fix this. There you go. Yeah, it wouldn't be nice if they could just log in and see it themselves or or have the system reach out to them for you. But maybe that's Gen 4. (laughs) Yeah. And then I guess better weather intelligence certainly would be nice. Uh, I think the basic stuff does something, but, you know, it sounds like they're really going above and beyond. And I think this one also added dual band Wi-Fi, too. So... That was a newer one, too, because uh, obviously when you're out in the garage, which is where most of these are, or, you know, they're going to be kind of away from your main home. Having that five gigahertz is, is a nice to have for sure. Yeah, no, that is nice. That is nice. Now, Raggio, I believe, comes in an eight zone and a 16 zone version. So theoretically, if you ever expanded your system, then you could have up to 16 zones. And I believe in talking with them at a conference once, they mentioned that you could also gang them together is the wrong way of putting it. But basically you could use two controllers together, I believe. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly what mine is, but let's say I have like 12. So Mm -hmm. I have just too many for the eight zone, but um, not enough for the 16. But so I guess I have some expandability if I uh, ever want to get crazy and water some other areas. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, I mentioned that I have an old irrigation system. I have a built-in system with the old hunter control and the clunky knob to junk, to junk, to junk, to get it to. And then depending on where you turn the knob, the buttons have different functions. Like who created these interfaces on these things? Unbelievable. But... Even Hunter and other legacy manufacturers of these controllers are now starting to come out with boxes that can work through a connected app. In my experience from looking at the options that I had here, they're all islands. Like they don't talk to your digital assistants, they don't integrate with any existing smart home system ecosystems. So I, you know, I have a hard time justifying, well, why would I upgrade their controller 
for their app when I could really just, I don't know, replace it with a ratio for 200 bucks. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the case of sometimes um, companies that are natives to a space like Hunter is, they, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, what everybody's telling us is we just need to add Wi-Fi. So uh, check. Okay. We added Wi-Fi and now we have a smart home app. You know, they don't realize what it takes to truly build a great, you know, full end-to-end product. Whereas I think Ratio was more a new entrance to this space a few years ago and really looked at it holistically of what is it going to take. You know, I don't know how useful some of the integrations with different ecosystems are, but it's certainly nice to have voice control and things like that. And maybe as the outdoor space fills out more and adds more capabilities, then these integrations to the smart home ecosystems are going to become more and more valuable. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that it also being early days leads to that kind of strange space where people who have been in this space, for example, installers of Hunter systems kind of look at these products like Ratio and say, oh, uh, you know, they, that's just a piece of garbage. They don't, they don't work. You really need this professional controller on here. Kind of not dissimilar from the way that HVAC installers five or six years ago would scoff at the nest. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess that's a good point, too, that, you know, folks like you and I, I just ran out. I bought this. I put it in myself. And the next year when the company showed up, they were like, guess what? This is what you're dealing with now. But typical people aren't going to necessarily do that. So they're looking to those professionals for for recommendations and things like that. And so the good ones obviously are going to do their research and and do that. But some may just be like, ah, oh, well, I don't, I sell Hunter. I don't sell these other brands. That's, you know, that's what I'm going to sell you. So some of that comes to, yeah, the, the industry professionals getting more educated and also asking homeowners what they're looking for so people can be more informed. What? You mean not just prescribing blindly? Here, this is who I'm partnering with. So this is what we're installing. This is who pays me the most money. Yeah, there's some of that too. Right, exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think we're going to take a quick break from our sponsors and uh, we'll return with some more outdoor smart home discussion. So our second part of this discussion is about outdoor lighting. And unlike the outdoor irrigation space, which really had inroads, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago is when we started to see stuff come out. Outdoor lighting has been largely non-existent. Smart lighting companies have not really made moves in the outdoor space for uh, until very recently, until maybe the last year or so. Now, there are some exceptions, and I'll talk about them a little bit. But, you know, in the old days, if you will, smart lighting outdoors, even with a high-end system, like, I, you know, I have a, a professionally installed landscape lighting system outside, two big metal boxes with all these 
low voltage connectors in them. And their idea of automation was a manual timer, like a physical round timer, you know, the ones that you can actually hear moving. (laughs) And there was no way that I was going to use that because, of course, when do you put your lights on? Oh, around sunset. Is that the same every single day? No, actually, it's not. So you'd be constantly changing it or your lights wouldn't be on when you'd want them to be on and or they'd be on when you didn't want them to be on. And that just doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, what I ended up doing, and this is how a lot of people were automating outdoor lights, was I ended up taking one of those clunky outdoor smart modules. You know, you can get these as part of many different ecosystems. They make Z-Wave versions. They make Insteon versions. I know that iHome has an outdoor module. And, and often you hear people talk about these around the holidays because you can use them for your outdoor holiday lighting projects. They're just really black, rubberized, outdoor, weather-resistant boxes that then turn on or turn off your lights through some sort of control system. And I jammed one of these in each of my big metal boxes to be able to control my outdoor lights just through my own lighting system, my Insteon system. And that was pretty much the extent of what you could do was these outdoor modules, or maybe if you have outdoor lights that you have connected to a light switch, you could swap out the switch and put a smart switch in. And now you have smart outdoor lights, right? That's lame. So <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about lights in kind of three different categories. I, I think of lights as lighting for security, then landscape lighting, and architectural lighting. Security lighting, I think, is pretty obvious. You have lighting that comes on to keep your property secure, maybe bright spotlights, things like that. Landscape lighting is usually decorative, usually in gardens or up against the house or something like that. And architectural lighting would be more along the lines of lights that you might install in your eaves or maybe uh, uh, sconces that you might have outside your house, something like that. And it really just and it hasn't been until just this last year or so that we started seeing some of the major brands get products in this space. So let me ask you, Adam, do you have any smart security lighting on your home? So I'll, I'll give you the extent of my smart outdoor lighting. Uh, I do have a ring floodlight cam. Um, that was something I did in the last six months. And it was half for security reasons, half for uh, just lighting reasons for my dog. So in our backyard, it was super dark. And like even sometimes we couldn't even see where the dog was. Um, We do have a fenced in yard, but, you know, it felt like we needed some better lighting there. And I wanted to be able to control that lighting as well. So I felt like I kind of killed two birds with one stone in in doing, putting in a ring floodlight cam uh, in that I got the spotlight that, you know, illuminates my entire yard. It's super bright and got the security element of the motion sensor and the the camera. Uh, it's a little bit sensitive, but um, in terms of it coming on via motion, but it certainly gets the job done that we're looking at. 
Moths. Moths are the worst with these things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thankfully, it times out and shuts off. The extent of other outdoor lighting I have is literally just light switches uh, connected to previously, you know, switched outdoor, you know, lights. So for porches and things like that, I don't have any fancy uh, other lighting beyond that. Well, and again, not much has really been available. The Ring Floodlight Cam, I think, is probably one of the first movers in this space. They came out with that product. It's a great product. I have one installed on my house. I agree with everything that you said about it. The light that it puts out is insane. It's 3,000 combined lumens of light from those two floods on that thing. And um, that's that's a lot of light. So <laughs> what what you end up with is something that can cover a, a large space and really scare off an intruder, which is the idea with security lighting. You either want to you want to discourage an intruder by having light around a property kind of all the time, or you want to maybe scare off an intruder with security lighting by having lighting come on if it detects motion or detects a person or something like that. And some of these actually have more than just motion detection. They have uh, infrared people detection. So it's looking for something that that fits the heat signature of a living thing as opposed to just like a branch falling. Right. So Ring, like I said, was, I think, the first to come out. They also released the Spotlight Cam. I just put a little asterisk next to Spotlight because I don't know how anyone at a design table decided that this device is anything close to how you define a Spotlight. But it is a very bright light that is self-contained and built into the the camera kind of housing. And it too is a good product. I have one of these. One of the problems with testing products is that I have kind of one of everything. So nothing matches, right? But <laughs> I, I, they th this this is another good way of adding light, adding security light. And then Hugh got into the game, I think it was really just last year. I think it was around the end of last summer that they finally started offering outdoor flood bulbs that you could add to your Hue system. And so these are just regular warm bulb. I think they're either 3000 or 2700 Kelvin. So warm white bulbs that you could tie into your Hue lighting. And so since it can be tied into your Hue lighting, you could probably control it from any other system that you have set up in your house. Singled is another company that has smart security floods. I love what Singled is doing. They have motion and PIR detectors built into their bulbs. And then they have the ability through their app to link bulbs together so that if one detects motion, then all of your floods around your home can go on. So the bulb itself is your security fixture. That's cool. That's definitely a useful application. And then along the lines of that idea where one thing detects motion and you want light, maybe more than just one light to go on. You really want to scare the hell out of the intruder. You can turn all the lights on. Well, about two years ago, Ring acquired a company called Mr. Beams. And Mr. Beams is probably best known for standalone LED battery operated lights that you could buy at your Home Depot or Target or something like that. And you could install little step lights outside 
your uh, your door, or they even had individual security lights that you could put up. Sometimes they they had some indoor stuff too. Well, when Ring bought them, all they really did at the time was rebrand them as Ring Beams. But just at the beginning of this year, they announced that this ecosystem they bought was going to become a part of the Ring ecosystem more closely, and it would be called Ring Smart Lighting. And in May, they launched the Ring Smart Lighting product line, which is huge. There are a ton of products in this. On the security lighting side, they have the old step lights. They've redesigned them. They have floodlights, one battery operated, one wired. So imagine a ring floodlight cam, but without the cam. It's just the floodlight. And sometimes that's just all that you want, but it has a motion sensor built in. All of these things have motion sensors built in. They also sell a standalone motion sensor. And what you can do with these things is that if you want to, you can link them all together. So if you want these things to work with your Ring app, you buy a bridge that's like 40 bucks, and all of these devices are relatively inexpensive. And then these lights show up in your Ring app, and you can group them so that if one detects motion, then anything can go on. Or you could have a motion sensor at like your perimeter of your property and have it trip all of your, say, eaves lighting on or something like that around your house. Really, really powerful the way they've designed this. And what amazes me, I've been testing some of these products since they first launched. The range on these things is insane. They claim a thousand feet, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. That is extreme. It is a proprietary protocol that they worked on with the Mr. Beams team and adapted to work through the bridge with Ring. I will tell you, and this is something I need to write up as a tip at the DMZ, actually. I have one of their motion sensors in my mailbox out at the street, which is easily a good... 30, 40 meters from my front door in a metal box. My bridge is in the attic. No problems connecting. Wow. That's impressive. It loses the connection in the box, but as soon as the the mailbox is opened, it reconnects to text motion. Cool. Yeah. I mean, these things are fantastic. So they've done a really good job on this stuff. They also did something really cool here, which is that... This is tied into Amazon's voice ecosystem as well. So you could have your Amazon assistant announce if there's motion, or you could have it turn on or off these lights. So a lot of cool stuff that you can do with this system. And like I said, it's relatively inexpensive. So question for you on this is, do you think this caters more to the DIY community or is this something that they're trying to have people get professionally installed? Is it both? I think this is absolutely a DIY play because for any sort of integrated security and sensor network like this on a property, particularly outdoors, you were looking at expensive integration work. Right. And they've made it available at 
low prices. Well, and don't they also, I, I don't have outdoor lighting, as I mentioned, don't they? But if we did, they have ways to tie in existing low voltage systems and make it connected, right? They do. So that's a perfect transition to the next area of lighting, which is landscape lighting. Landscape lighting is really decorative, right? It, it might be to light a path so people know where to step and it's safer for them. But in most cases, it's decorative. And one of the things that they did, which I think was brilliant, this was my favorite CES product this year, was this transformer that costs 99 bucks. And it basically replaces the transformer that came with your low-voltage system, whether it's self-installed from Home Depot, something that you put in yourself, or something professionally done. This can power it. And then it ties your existing lighting system into your Ring ecosystem, and then therefore into your Amazon ecosystem. And I think that is so, so smart. Yeah. Definitely nice to, obviously, if you're somebody that's already made that investment, you don't want to rip out that existing stuff. And so nice to be able to convert that and, and make it intelligent. Now, if you don't have that sort of thing, they've also come out with pathway lights. I mentioned before that they have step lights, but they also have pathway lights. And their pathway lights, uh, I think the best way that I could describe them is imagine a long like nightstick style flashlight that has D batteries in it. And I'm, I'm saying that very intentionally. It's roughly that size, but then instead of the lens at the top, it would be just like a, the cap of a path light that's designed to reflect light out to the path that you're walking on. It's powered by D batteries. You put 4D batteries in this thing, and they say it'll last up to a year. Now, up to a year, I have to assume, means that you're using them to go on when they detect motion. And they're not going to be on all night long. Because I can't imagine that 4D batteries are going to last a year if the light is on all night long. But still, really, really cool. There's a motion sensor on it, again. Join it up to the motion sensor network so it could trigger other lights potentially or it could trigger just all of your pathway lights to come on. Or if you're really geeky like I am, you could just have them come on as it each one detects you, which is kind of fun. I, really, really cool product. Now, one of the things I will say is that I, I liked the design of this. I thought this was pretty cool. And if you read some of the reviews of the ring lighting products, in particular, I think Rise Review over at CNET talks about how the products are kind of weird looking. They don't really have the greatest design ethos. And I would agree with that. I would say that some of the designs of some of these products are, are kind of strange. And like we're seeing with other Ring products, it's like they don't even look like they're all part of the same family. So... I don't know what's going on there, but I liked the design of the ring lights. What I don't like is that the light is so bright that it's really glary. Now, you can turn it down, but the design of the cap on the top doesn't actually cover the light. 
so that when you're standing above it, you still kind of get hit by the light from the lens inside. And I think they could do a better design on a second generation that actually has a cap that extends out a little bit further. But otherwise, I think they're cool. I liked them. My partner didn't like them. So, you know, if that's the case, get professionally installed lights and use their transformer. They have a solution for everyone. Now, they're not the only one playing in the outdoor lighting space. Philips Hue also came out with pathway lights and garden spots. They have an outdoor version of their strip light, which I personally think is hideous. It looks like a big, long neon worm. And (laughs) every image that I've seen of this just has it kind of curved around railings or something. It just looks so tacky. I just don't understand why anyone would want that. But the garden spots are cool. And I've recommended them to a couple people, and I have them myself. And the pathway lights that they have are pretty good. They look kind of plasticky, but they're pretty good as well. The garden spots are particularly interesting to me because I have spotlights that go up in my trees. And so now you can have color lights that can shine up in your trees. Unfortunately, their garden spots, when they're in a color mode, aren't as bright as when they're white. Ugh. Yeah, that's a bummer. So they're perfect when they're white, but you turn them any color, and then it's just way, way less bright, more dim than it would be if it were just white. And that's very frustrating to me, because I was hoping to replace a lot of my outdoor tree spots with these color things. And that feels like that would be the advantage of using connected spots is that you could change the color of them and and do fun stuff with it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I was looking forward to Halloween. You know, you could do stuff with like lightning effects and yeah. Nope. Nope. Uh, It's just not bright enough. So I'm, I'm kind of disappointed by that, but, but they, they are good just as, good outdoor spots if you want them like on the corners of your house. I have a friend who put them in the corners of the house shining up and they look really cool. And if you're putting them in trees and stuff like that, I will tell people if you're buying these, buy extra cable. Just just buy extra cable because you're not going to have enough. I guarantee you, you're going to want more cable. And then Sylvania has been playing in this space probably longer than anyone else. They had this these things called garden spots, which are basically like these little light lens nubs that were attached to a strip that was outdoor rated. And so maybe every foot you had one of these little lights that would shine up and they're Zigbee and they can be used like around a garden or a deck or something like that. And they're kind of cool. They haven't gotten the greatest reviews. Apparently they're not very durable. So, I don't know that I would rec- recommend them to anybody, but this is like this has been really the only product that's been available for the longest time for outdoor use, and so it's nice to see these other companies coming in and offering other stuff. Now, Sylvania is also talking about doing some new stuff. They have an indoor/outdoor flexible strip that is nice looking. It's not a big long. Um, glowy worm. It's just a regular light strip that you can put under or on top of stuff. And they also have announced that they are going to have string lights, kind of like party lights that are connected and probably addressable. And then 
Uh, also, they had previously announced some pathway lights, but we haven't seen those yet. So I don't know if we're going to have any more there. Now, that's kind of all that I've seen out there for the main brands. I know that there are some small manufacturers and some Chinese companies that are selling stuff out on eBay and on Amazon, but these are this is really what the big companies are doing here. Now, there's one more area that I want to talk about, and that's architectural lighting. In the architectural lighting space, usually this is lighting that's attached to your home in one way or another. And Philips is starting to play here in a really big way. They've come out with numerous outdoor fixtures that are either built with a hue light already in them or built with an integrated LED that's part of the fixture itself. And they have a number of different styles. So depending on your architectural preferences, your your home's architectural style, they have a product that might work for you. And they keep on coming out with new products. They were slow in getting them out, but I've seen a number of different ones in the last couple of months. So that might be something to look into too, if you'd like stuff all hooked into your Hue ecosystem. Yeah, it blows my mind how many different products they've expanded. I mean, just in general, they're expanding a ton, a ton of different areas, trying a lot of new things. So really interesting to watch that. It is. Now, the frustrating thing, and I say frustrating because I still get some pleasure out of going into a physical retail store and seeing product and being able to kind of choose and read boxes and stuff like that. They don't sell nearly any of these. I don't know if they sell any of them in retail. In fact, you probably won't find most of what we've talked about in this episode in retail. You have to buy this stuff either direct or online through an online reseller. And I know that's good for companies economically, but I worry that without more exposure, that some of these product lines just aren't going to survive. Like, I don't under, I don't understand why we don't see the ring outdoor lighting in Home Depot now. Yeah, I think it comes down to folks like Home Depot and some of these other just, they're just slowly dipping their toe in the connected space and, uh, you know, still a little hesitant to, you know, put all this stuff out there. So, uh, you uh, know. Th- that might be because every time they try it, they screw it up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, it'll come in time. It'll come in time. But, you know, I don't think and I think why you don't see it in other retailers is like, you know, Best Buy is not exactly the place you're going to go buy landscape lighting, per se. Right. Which is where you'd find some of the other products from some of these brands. So, yep. Yep. I can understand this approach and I can understand them not wanting to uh, invest as heavily in some of these, I guess, more uh, obscure categories. But but yeah, I think in hardware definitely needs to get on board because I think there's a ton of potential here. And yeah, how else are people going to find out about this kind of stuff who who don't uh, aren't as plugged in and in, into the technology? Yeah, exactly. And you don't necessarily need to be a tech geek to want the benefits of say, some outdoor lights that are smart enough to all come on together or something like that. Right. 
Uh, so I think the last thing we wanted to talk about here was, you know, kind of what's missing in the outdoor space. Uh, you mentioned earlier that this space has been one that's been a little bit slower to get to get smart and to get um, intelligence in it. What else are you looking for um, from companies in the outdoor space? For me, one of the things that I'm always curious about is for people who live in rural areas like I do, who have services that might be a little bit different from folks in the suburbs or in urban areas. For example, I have an oil tank. I actually have two oil tanks. I have three or four, I can't remember which, propane tanks. I have a well. So all of these things, I have a septic system. All of these things could benefit from sensors that could alert me to when they're low. The way it works right now, every couple of weeks, my gas place comes to check to see if we need gas or not. Every month or so, the oil people come to see if we need oil. And we just assume everything's cool with the well and the septic, and I call the septic people every two or three years. But man, I'd love to have more visibility into what's really going on there. Right. Save money and time on those truck rolls from having those guys come out if they don't need to. Right. Right. Now, I know that there are some companies that are making products, for example, for propane tanks, so that propane can be delivered more on demand. But those... <laughs> the the irony of it is that that kind of technology comes to rural areas slower. Right. Right. So <laughs> that's who needs it, but right, it's right. slower on the uptick. Yeah. Actually, we quoted something, uh, a solution uh, along those lines. It was either for oil or propane, or maybe we've done both. But a number of years ago, a company came to us with that exact problem of, we don't know when to roll a truck and we don't know what the state of these things are. And we feel like connectivity was there. I don't remember why it didn't work out, but uh, it seemed like a problem that needed technology to fix it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned something else. I mentioned the mailbox as uh, I, I think a decent use case for some sort of monitor and alert. And except for a, I think it's now 30-year-old battery-operated device that you can buy as seen on TV. I don't know that there is a good solution for that. So yeah. now that we have sensors that have long-range capability from Ring, and hopefully we'll see similar capabilities from other products, that kind of solves that problem. But I'd love to see a point solution for that. Yeah, Uh I loved your your solution you came up with, and it was funny because I totally remember somebody coming to me in the past and said, I want to know when my mail gets here. Like, how do I do that? And I didn't have a real good answer for them. Yeah, I, because there hasn't really been anything. Uh, sensors typically would be Z-Wave or Zigbee or something that's proprietary, and Zigbee and Z-Wave have significant range limitations particularly on battery-operated devices. So I just didn't 
see how I was going to solve that problem. And I was very excited that this solves that. And the other thing, it's built into Amazon, right? So I have Amazon alert me that, hey, your mail just arrived and the little light, in fact, I forgot to reset it, the little light over my shelving unit in my office turns blue to let me know that the mail has arrived. Cool. Very cool. How about you? Have you thought of other things in the outdoor space? I'll tell you what my dream is. Um, so I have a lawn service today that, that uh, mows our yard. We don't have a super big yard, um, but I've been watching for a while the robotic lawnmower space. Oh, this scares me. <laughs> I mean, it scares me too. I have small children. Um, so I've been particularly interested in what iRobot is doing here. And I know they've said there's something coming for a while and whenever i bump into somebody from their company at a conference i'm always like when's that robot lawnmower coming and do you need any beta testers <laughs> but my problem is I, I mentioned before we have a fence so this would be a great solution not having a super huge yard but i need like a way for the robot to come in and out of my fence so that feels a little bit more futuristic it's like i need the a robot doggy door for my fence that only the robot, um, you know, can trigger and opens for him. But mm. so, uh, I think I'm a little far out for that. Um, but I'll keep, keep an eye on that because I have a Roomba in the house and it's great. And the technology's come a really long way. So I think if they can do some of the same good stuff, um, in the lawn space, then I think that's pretty interesting to me too. Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. You know, another thing that I thought of as you're talking about the lawn, part of the job of maintaining your lawn is trimming. And I'd love to see something like a weed whacker that had Amazon fulfillment services built into it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think the other need here that's sort of missing and uh, the previously mentioned... Um, Scott's grow ecosystem had some like water sensors and stuff there. Um, but I don't think it did a particularly good job at that, but I think that's something that I would love to see, uh, kind of complete the circle on is actual measurement of water in soil in certain areas in your yard. And then using that to intelligently, water um and do other activities um you know make intelligent decisions about about how you're taking care of your yard yeah that makes a lot of sense i like that we got all kinds of business ideas here so anybody in the outdoor space you know just free ideas for you go ahead you could just just take care of us and and hook us up when uh when you make these things well, but then if they need an infrastructure for that, they should probably call you. Yeah, there you go. And then when they want to build some sort of app experience for it, they should call me. And we then we, we've all got this covered. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. So now uh, for our question today, um, question came again from our friends on the HomeKit Slack. And I got a little bit of uh, feedback that I didn't include the HomeKit Slack URL in our last show notes. So I will definitely do that this time around for anybody that wants to join. But the question was, do you have concerns about smart home devices and privacy? What smart home ecosystems or companies do you trust the most? 
I'll let you go first. Hmm. Yeah. So yes, I do. I have a shutter on the very camera that I'm using now to record with you. So I am very privacy conscious. I don't like having indoor cameras, as I've talked about before. So for me, I I think it's less about the ecosystem and more about how I use the products. Now, audio products, products that listen, that's kind of something you just have to come to some sort of level of comfort with. I'm comfortable that Amazon and Google, even though there seems to be more and more discussion about these ghost occurrences of advertising showing up about stuff that you've talked about. I don't know how much credence I give that, but you know, I, I just have decided that I trust these things in my home. I, I want to speak to that, the, the ghost advertising thing for a minute. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter talking about this, and I, I thought this was a good take on it, which was like, it's so much worse than that. Like, it, <laughs> it would be better if it was that. And it's actually <laughs> like what's really happening is they're taking – different points of intelligence about you looked at this or we were able to tell that you, you know, you and I were together and we talked and Richard has this device and you don't. And then we're going to like, they're inferring that you talked about it and then advertising to you about it. So, uh, it's not, it's not that that would be better. Like the, the creepiness is, is goes even further. So I don't know Hmm. the specifics about how that actually goes on, but, what little I've read about it is like, no, it, it's, it's worse than that in other things. Yeah. And another, another explanation is I think it's called familiarity bias. You know, kind of once you start looking at a particular type of car, then you see it everywhere. Right. So, you know, it's very likely that hmm, maybe you have been advertised to before about that product, but you never noticed it before because you weren't talking about it before. Anyway, uh, now, you know, I say all that, but if I were a Facebook user and I'm not, but if I were a Facebook user, there is no way in hell I would buy the Facebook communication device that you can put in your home that is basically an Echo. Yeah, that thing creeps me out. And I am a Facebook user, and um, I know sometimes I wish I wasn't, but uh, that's definitely one place where I draw the line and somebody I don't super trust uh, putting a microphone in my house. (laughs) Right. Right. How about you? Um, I think I'm a little bit more lenient than you. Uh, I mean, I'm still conscious of, of privacy and things like that. Um, but like, I'm more comfortable with having indoor cameras. Um, I've got a couple in the house and use them, you know, to like as a, a baby monitor for my daughter and, and things like that in terms of who I trust. I loosely have some trust for Amazon and Google. Uh, I trust Apple way more. And whenever I talk to people about this, I always bring up the fact that like they went to bat with the uh, FBI over unlocking iOS devices. Right. I just generally like the conversation they're having around privacy. Uh, A couple shows ago, you know, we talked about the new video stuff they're doing. So I think, 
it's something they're very focused on. And so at the end of the day, I think if you're super privacy conscious, they're somebody that has your interests um, at heart. And it always goes back to, I think, you have to think about the motivations and the business models of the companies behind these these devices. You know, Amazon is out there to sell you stuff. They want you to buy more stuff on Amazon. I think maybe that's lessened a little bit as they've built more of a business around the Echo devices. But at the end of the day, that's their core business. Uh, Google is in the advertising business. Right. You are the product. So I think those are the things you got to keep in mind, whereas Apple wants to sell you hardware and services. So they're not, that's, those things are not at the expense of your privacy, whereas some of those other companies' business models conflict with privacy at times. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So if you have a smart home question, send it our way with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. We'll pick it up on Twitter, and we'll pick a few questions to include in each show. All right. So uh, thank you for listening to the show today. Uh, the Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, a collection of tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and, uh, of course, Richard's show, Home On. And, of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and other podcatchers. And uh, do us a favor. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you're enjoying the show. You know, leave us a rating or a review, or uh, or just share share the show with a with a friend. And uh, we love hearing feedback about it as well. Richard, where can people find you on the web? The best place to find my writing and shows is at thedigitalmediazone.com. I'm on Twitter at Richard Gunther, and I am a technology experience consultant. If you are in need of a product or project manager in the digital space, that is what I do. Reach out. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and uh, keep up with everything my company is doing at ConnectSense.com. Well, cool. This has been fun. Good talking. All right. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.